Yo, what's good, everybody? Welcome back to the Gifted Hoops podcast. I know it's been a while since the last podcast. I was in Baltimore, but I'm back. And I got to say, I'm here with one of my favorite creators in the NBA content game, Hoop Venue. He makes a lot of excellent basketball content. He knows ball. And as you guys know, on the Gifted Hoops podcast, talking ball is a thing we try to do sometimes. So how are you doing today, Hoop Venue? I'm doing good, man. I'm just excited to be here. I really appreciate you having me on. I haven't had a chance to chop up the NBA Finals with anyone besides out of the video content, so I'm excited to talk about some things for sure. Before we get into things, make sure to follow Hoop Venue. Uh, I'm pretty sure his Twitter is at KG's Go. Make sure to tap into this podcast on Spotify, uh, Apple, and all places where you find podcasts. But let's officially get into things, man. So, as you know, I was in Baltimore. Um... I've been watching this entire playoff series very poorly. Before we get to where the Heat are, I just want to say the run from both of these teams to both come out of the East and the West has to be respected. I see a lot of people trying to take away points from Denver when they've just been flat out the better team in pretty much all of this series. Um, I have to give a lot of respect to Jamal Murray. I look to him as a player that... At his peak performance, he could really be that good of a player. But I feel like he was at times a bit inconsistent during the regular season campaigns. But this entire playoffs, he's lit it up as a three-level scorer. The two-man game with Jokic, I mean, you know, in game four. The fact that they have the power to both drop 30, 10, and 10 on the same team, it's just wild. So shout out to the Denver side of things. But the Heat, they got to have respect. Who I've seen a lot of people say that the Heat is basically Jimmy Butler or a bust. But if you've been watching basketball, Duncan Robinson has been amazing. And, like, I just want to oh. quickly throw his name out there because you also said that you had a, a video planned out about Duncan and how, how he's been. How are you looking at the Heat? Exactly. I, I made a video about the Heat, and pretty much one of my, like, major talking points was – how I've never seen an offense be so much like equal opportunity because you talk about teams that get everyone involved. People think of like ball movement teams, like motion offenses, like the Kings, Nuggets, Warriors. But the Heat, like you'll get a Caleb Martin isolation. You'll get a Gabe Vincent pick and roll. You'll get a Bam out of bio post up. Like they do so much offensively. And I thought that really stood out. And that's like kind of why I think they translate so well to the playoffs. People always point to the outlier shooting with them and like, how they can't sustain the shooting, but when everyone's in rhythm and everyone's involved, the playoffs are about versatility, not just defensively, but offensively. You got to be able to counter what your opponent throws at you. And when you have an entire deck of cars that you can play, it, your your offense is limitless. And that's why I think they just have found so much success. They went against Boston. They went against Milwaukee. Yep. They went against New York. That's three elite defenses that are all very different strategically. And they they got the job done against all three of them and i think that's what really stands out is like how many levels there are to their offense and how much trust they put in all of their guys and i think that's why the argument kind of falls apart when they say it's just jimmy because you'll have nights where jimmy's not really doing much and the team is phenomenal and that's because everyone's in rhythm everyone's involved and everyone in that roster is pretty skilled yeah uh i 1000 agree with you um i still want to give him his credit because you know obviously for the first like nine games of the playoffs jimmy butler was absolutely sensational um his defense has been great pretty much every game um even though sometimes his offense lacks 
what I like is as the playoffs have progressed, Bam out of bio um, in terms of the offensive end, being that, you know, DHO guy and finding his spots and being that athletic rim guy, you know, at the rim. I think they provided good things to their offense. And I said this coming in, right? To me, Denver, from a team basis, and again, I might get killed for this, but I still feel like the Heat are the best offense that they've had to play for the entire playoffs in terms of the personnel as a unit, right? People will say, how can you say that, Gifted? They played the Suns, who had KD and Booker. I get that. But I feel like that type of attack was less equal opportunity and more... Devin Booker, please shoot 80% from the field. And KD, mm-hmm. drop 30 points. And we'll occasionally get some spot-up uh, corner threes. Shaman might hit five threes. But the Heat have been all the way through the playoffs, the team that can kill you for multiple points with their pull-up shooting, especially from two. They've been really, really good you know, at that for the entire playoffs. But I feel like for the Nuggets, they have a thing defensively where if you don't have multiple guys who can pull up, shoot at a high level, you can't really put too much pressure on them defensively. And I think the Heat had that. Now, granted, they're down 3-1 still, but that's how I felt coming in. That's exactly how I felt as well. I made a tweet about that before. I was like, am I crazy? I was doing a series preview, and I was like, am I crazy for thinking the Nuggets will have the most trouble defending Miami? Yeah. Obviously, that hasn't been true because, I mean, the Nuggets have been amazing defensively in this series. But coming in, I I was looking at the fact that the Miami Heat backcourt is Kyle Lowry, Gabe Vincent, Duncan Robinson, Max Strews. That's four elite shooters. Like, pull-up guys, off-the-dribble guys, movement guys. They can create separation. They can do it out of the pick-and-roll. And I thought they were going to run through them a lot more. Um, but then Duncan Robinson stopped getting minutes. I don't know what that was about. That kind of threw me off because I, I, I was looking the other day when I was working on my video. The, the Heat had a 124 offensive rating with Robinson on the court in the playoffs. Yeah. That's nuts. Yes, they did. That's yeah. nuts. Like... And then, and then obviously, I think the loss... This is a series where the loss of Tyler Hero definitely is felt. I think in other series, you could survive it, but he, he would he would be offering a lot of... He'd really be stressing the defense in this series for sure. And uh, that's the thing. I, I just think the Heat were so layered. And, and like I said, and then the shooting they have, it wasn't just guys knocking down open threes. Like, they, they have shot makers. They have guys hitting on the move through traffic and, and from anywhere on the floor, from range. And... I just think it kind of fell apart. I think some of it is they've played a lot of games. Like this, is, they're not as fresh as they were in the first round. Yeah, that's true. Um, and especially Jimmy Butler with his injuries, he's not getting the same thing things going on. And uh, I, I just think they've kind of fallen off a little bit. I think Denver's kind of figured them out. At, at this point, they're kind of just marking time. <laughs> that's kind of what it feels like. Like, like I, I don't. I don't know if they'll make it past five, but uh, I, I do think heading into the series, I thought they were going to be tested a lot more, uh, the Nuggets, that is, defensively. Yeah, I kind of feel like the Duncan Robinson point has to be talked about because I saw this man go from, from a player that was one of the worst contracts in the league, was not getting any minutes during the regular season to, with Tyler Hero out, he got a chance to uh, pop out and emerge. And I got to say, to me at least, his impact on the court – I feel like this is the most complete version of Duncan we've seen because his passing off of his shooting gravity, he had plays against 
the Boston Celtics where he would take Al Horford off the dribble and Al would respect his drive so much he's given Duncan Robinson threes and also like his passing he was just a, a super complete player and that's why for me it bothered me so much seeing that Spolstra is playing him less but he's letting Struess who does not give you the mm-hmm. same value like he's letting him get more time than Duncan when Duncan even has more chemistry and continuity with Bam which was a big part of how their offense got so potent and so deadly. So that type of stuff kind of bothered me. Um, I also kind of feel like the Highsmith men is going away. I, I don't know. I feel like in spurts, Highsmith did really good things, but I guess Spolstra just trusts Max Struess more. It's weird for me. I don't know. Yeah, my thing with Duncan too is the way his game uh bolsters the game of bam and jimmy because you get you get the ball to bam in the middle you have duncan robinson flying off of handoffs and screens he's backdoor cutting that maximizes bam but when jimmy's isolating duncan robinson's the best spacer they have as well he's gonna constantly move like duncan robinson's one of the best off-ball players i've ever seen yeah constant screening constant cutting constant movement flybys attacking closeouts if he doesn't have a shot right away he's moving the ball and moving again like this guy is just an elite team player and that's what shocks me I, I do think he's more problematic defensively than Max Struess I think that's part of it he was getting minutes in the fourth of game four and Bruce Brown was torching him and I think yeah, that's yeah. part of the problem with Duncan Robinson but like at, at a certain point you just need to get the offense on the floor and figure the defense out so I think that's the problem with Duncan Robinson not playing and as for Haywood Highsmith I thought they would use him as a small ball five more because yes, that's what they were doing at the yes. end of the Boston series yes. they they were throwing him at the five. The Nuggets run their bench unit as a small unit. They run Aaron Gordon at the five, Jeff Green at the four, Christian Brown at the three. They run a very small bench lineup, and I thought that's when we were, we were going to see Haywood Highsmith at the five. One of my predictions for the series was that the Heat would win the non-Jokic minutes. That has not been the case, not even close to the case. Like, Jokic has a negative on-off in this series because of that. Like, I thought the Heat... I thought the Heat were going to, like, dominate those minutes. That was their time. They could get, because the Nuggets don't have much offense in those minutes, they could get Duncan Robinson on the floor for extended time. They could get Haywood Highsmith at the five. Kyle Lowry can switch one through five against that bench unit. And then it's like, oh, they're getting outscored by 17 points in 12 minutes without Jokic. That's not probably not too good. Um, I, love, I love that you're bringing that up, by the way, because I think I covered this and. Please, podcast listeners, let me know if I'm right or wrong about this. But I'm pretty sure in the last podcast, I was so impressed with what the Heat did in game two because they gave up a 25 to 6 run with no Jokic. And they survived it and found a way to win that ball game. And to me, a lot of it is not only do they struggle, but it's also the fact that with no Jokic on the floor, the Nuggets become a rangier, more athletic lineup in general. So there's more speed, there's more, you know, spacers, and they just play a different pace than with Jokic, number one. But number two, early in the series, when Jokic sat, guess who else sat? Jimmy or Bam. And yeah. their offense struggles severely when, when Butler is not on the floor. Like, I saw a lot of possessions where, in game two, where... They would have moments where they would not really punish the defense. Like, they would settle for a lot of shots. They wouldn't really get to the rim. Jimmy is probably the only player that can consistently take the ball 
from the perimeter and get paint touches consistently for that offense. So when he's not on the floor in those moments and they have really rangy guys who are quick and also get out in transition fast, that kills the Heat defense. And then when Butler actually subs it back in the game now, it's more, okay, I have to try to create more offense. And also, I hate to say this, but Jimmy's been kind of underwhelming for me just in terms of when he gets the Jamal Murray switch. He's had a lot of moments, especially in the game we just saw, the game four, where he got the mismatch and he did not consistently attack it. Like, sometimes he would get by him, but he's always driving kick, always, always, always. I believe that sometimes to keep the defense honest, you have to show them that he's just going to keep abusing, you know, this matchup because that will bend their defense more and then those kicks are going to actually do something, in my opinion. Yeah, the the passiveness from Jimmy has definitely been alarming because I think a lot of people point to the injury and, and how that's affected him, but also it's like a mental thing because this isn't the first time we've seen this happen to Jimmy in the playoffs. Like, yeah. if you remember the 2020 Celtics series, what, what was he, their fourth leading scorer or something? Like, like he just stopped shooting the ball. And I, I, I do think the injury affects him, but I don't think it's to the point where he comes off a screen he has 10 feet of space at the elbow and he doesn't even look at the hoop like that no. compare that to the jimmy we saw in the milwaukee series like step back 20 footers over the face of drew holiday for like 20 straight minutes bro like it's not the same jimmy and and it's it's a mental thing like sometimes he just goes into these moments where he's super passive not even looking to score there was another one where he like drove baseline had an easy layup and easy. didn't even look up didn't Why even did look up he just yeah. keeps dribbling around like you're not Kyle Lowry, bro. You're Jimmy Butler. And, and that, that just keeps throwing me off. And I, I agree that Jimmy's been a little bit underwhelming in this series because I knew they were going to play him in a deep drop. Jokic is camping in the paint. And Jimmy's not taking those middies that he was just cooking elite defenses with. I I, I don't I don't get it. I, I and, and to your point on the offense struggling in the non-Jimmy minutes when they're going against the Nuggets bench, Tyler Hero, man. That's what I'm saying, bro. Yeah. If they had Tyler, like that, he'd be helping with that. Like, he's their only other creator from the perimeter, really. The other guys are all like, they'll score off like two man game handoff off of screens. But Tyler Hero is another guy who can really like break down the defense, get into it, and make plays. And I think you're really feeling the loss of that if you're Miami right now. I love what you said about Jimmy Butler because we haven't really had this conversation. Because every time we talk about, well, Jimmy's not playing well or to to his level everyone says ah the injury the injury the injury well here's how i look at it right i look at it like let's look at jimmy butler's defense because if we're saying the injury is why he cannot consistently create advantages and shoot the ball then why is it that in the same game too he was clamping jamal murray he was fighting through screens, and it's very difficult to, to bring that effort defensively to the game, especially if you have a foot injury like that. I know it's, it's like hard to like speculate, but defensively, he's doing exactly what we know him to be uh, capable of. So I feel like because of that, asking him to be a bit more uh, aggressive offensively shouldn't really be too bad. I also kind of feel like the Denver Nuggets want Bam to be the guy. Like, they want Bam to take the short mid-rate. Like, fine, we'll live with that all day because that's not generating consistently great offense like Jimmy driving to the paint, having to pay touch, and finding these three-point shooters. 
For sure, and, and that's been the Nuggets' defensive strategy pretty much all year, not just against Bam. We saw it with Anthony Davis as well. They're content on giving up the mid, the short mid-range, the little floaters to rollers, because you have to kind of uh, compromise when you have Jokic. Jokic isn't an athletic enough to like take away multiple threats at once. You have to pick your poison. That's just, that's just the reality of the situation. So when Jokic comes up to the level, or he's in a drop, he's protecting the rim, he's protecting the pull-up three. That little soft area, like 10 to 8 feet, Jokic can't drop back to the rim and then get a hand up on that. He can't, He's not quick enough. So, they're conceding that. And the problem is, Bam Adebayo can hit that shot. He can hit it at like 50%. 50% two-pointers are not going to keep up with the Nuggets offense. The Nuggets are too efficient. So, that that's the real problem here is the Nuggets sell out on what they know can keep up with their scoring production. And then everything else is like, oh, we'll just live with it because it doesn't scare us. Yeah. And like, I think game four has to be the biggest example of what we're talking about. Because <laughs> again, in game four, Jamal wasn't that great in terms of his uh, shot profile and, you know, how good he was in terms of, of making shots. But the playmaking chops were absolutely there. I mean, 10 assists with no turnovers is very impressive. But it speaks to how good Denver is as an offense when. Jokic and Jamal weren't going crazy, but you got Aaron Gordon, 27 points. And you have Bruce Brown absolutely cooking people on switches, drives, three-point shots. The amount of versatility their offense has is just great because if you sit Jokic, Jamal has been the consistent creator guy to take over that role when Jokic is not in the game. And if Jamal is not in the game, we know what the creator Jokic is. And they have a bunch of guys that fill in. Like, I love the Aaron Gordon trade the minute I saw it because I instantly said, you're adding more size, more length. If he can really develop that corner three-point shot to basically just be a, sorry, not a complete non-spacer. He could be very serviceable. And, and defensively, Gordon has just been a monster. But in this series, the cross-matching you see from Aaron Gordon consistently where he's catching the ball on Strews, or a game on whoever, it's just showing you the length and the versatility of what Denver provides as an offense. Yeah, Gordon is like one of the ultimate mismatch players I've I've seen in a long time. In terms of just like he can put the ball on the floor, um, especially in transition. He's real agile and quick, but he's also 6'9, 6'8, or whatever incredibly strong and he plays off of two feet with power like a, like a traditional post big so it's like pretty much everyone's too small for him but anyone who is big enough is not quick enough They're not, not quick vertically enough. gifted yeah. enough right and it's like there's only a select handful of teams that have the size and athleticism to match up with denver's front court it's like you need a big body who can play play Jokic at least good enough because there's no really really like playing Jokic, but just good enough but then you also have to have an athletic four like a phenom at the four you have to have like a Giannis or an evan mobley like those are the teams i think of when i think of like a team okay but then what do you do about 610 michael porter jr because you don't know if he's gonna hit 50 percent of his threes or if he's gonna get four offensive rebounds and, and it's like doing that for, for like right the majority of the series right. and they're still losing which is yeah, yeah. And then it's like, oh, off the bench, uh, our shortest guy is 6'5". We can all dribble. We can all shoot. I, I and, and I think it's the ecosystem as well, like, maximizing these guys. Because, like, can you imagine Christian Brown doing what he did in Game 3 for any other team? Like, oh, man. Yeah. Like, like he was... Yeah. 
imagine if someone told you at the beginning of the season that Christian Brown would be a zone beater in the NBA Finals. Like, like that is just so weird. I would tell you that you're crazy because we know Mike Malone does not like young players, and he does not like right. guys that are unproven. But Mike Malone said, I'm going to bench MPJ, Christian Brown, you're impacting the game, you're going to yeah. play, and Brown's been sensational. Yeah. And Michael Malone, man... I'm impressed. I genuinely think he's outcoached Spolstra in this series. And wow, but yeah, it's it's you kind of have to like one of them has Jokic and one of them doesn't, so it's really hard to like say he's outcoaching him. But like the adjustments Michael Malone has made on both ends of the floor, the rotational changes he's made, he's really impressed me throughout these playoffs. Because heading into the playoffs, I think I have a tweet somewhere where I was like talking about how I wanted the Nuggets to get Ime Udoka and. People were like, nah, just wait for Michael Malone in the playoffs. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll check it out. And then they came out in the Minnesota series. When Jokic went out, they brought out the small ball f- uh, Gordon at the five lineup. And I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, Michael Malone's locked. And ever yeah. since then, man, ever since then, man, it feels like they haven't made a wrong decision the entire run. I mean, what are they, 15 and four? Like, it feels like they haven't done anything wrong. It, it's really, it's really incredible. I've seen so many plays and like, I, I love, I absolutely love this, right? I love it when... You see NBA coaches call timeouts when they're up like 25 points. Like, yeah, listen, don't even let them get the chance to open the window to come back. Let's lock in and tie it up. And, and I feel like you've seen that a lot with Mike. And again, the rotations to make sure you always have one of Jamal or Jokic pretty much out there on the floor. Having Jamal with defense around him and having to be the primary creator, I feel like that's really a lot his most successful parts even when Jokic is not on the floor and that's what keeps the, that offense consistent and always coming but I love how from a uh, from a leadership standpoint how he's not afraid to say you, you're not producing you're not playing MPJ is making max money and he has the heart to say you're not gonna play the entire second half I want Bruce Brown in I want Christian Brown in because they're impacting the game. And it's not personal. It's not personal at all. It's a matter of what you're bringing to the team or not. I love that. Yeah, for sure. And I also love how the way they've built that culture, Michael Porter Jr. can get benched for the entire fourth quarter, and he's up at every made shot. He's, he's hype. He's good. Yeah. Like, he's he's hype. That entire team, I've never seen a team so bought in. Like, we talk about people buying in. Look at what happened with the Warriors this year. Like, it was like everything was kind of goofed up. Like, Kaminga not playing. He's not even getting hype if they're up by 20. Jordan Poole isn't isn't hype when they're going up 20 when he's on the bench. You got Michael Porter Jr. running on the court, waving his towel when Bruce Brown makes a three. Bruce Brown's playing over him, but all they care about is winning, and that's like that's the recipe. It all starts there. Look, man, as a Warriors fan, <laughs> and I gotta look dead in the camera when I say this, man. Like, I I I believe, okay. I respect Denver, right? In my opinion, one of uh, Golden State, Denver, and I think I had the Celtics. One of those three teams for me preseason would go to the finals. And for me personally, Denver reminds me so much of like a hybrid between like the Spurs and also Golden State in terms of movement. And also their star players being all about winning. I mean, Jokic, obviously, we can literally talk about him for 40 minutes out of like he is a right. leader to the fullest extent because he just wants to win and that culture from your best players spreads on to everybody else 
I thought that the Warriors would have a chance of coming out because as good as Denver is, I feel like to really like threaten them, you have to have a guy who is a elite perimeter threat on high volume, and that's exactly what the Warriors are. Would it be tough? Because obviously they don't have the size, yes, but what you just said is the most pivotal part because in sports, especially basketball, the will to win has to be there for the entire roster. People have to buy in. You can't be complaining. You have to be ready and equipped to go. And Denver, for the entire season, has pretty much been that team. A lot of people said they weren't going to be good off of that one month of basketball that lost Jokic to MVP, which I promise you we'll get to that. But you've just seen that consistently from Denver, and you got to give a, a lot of respect for that. Yeah, for sure. And then it's like, oh, man, yeah, because they had that. I, I was just watching a clip of the Michael Porter Jr. He was on the J.J. Reddick podcast. Yep. And he was like, people wrote them off at the end of the season uh, when they were going on a little losing streak. But And then he, he, he said something It was like, at a certain point, the regular season gets, like, sluggish. Like, the end of the regular season gets really doggish and sluggish. Like, it's not – you can't have the same motivation. They're thinking about, I can't wait for the playoffs to start. Like, I'm ready for the playoffs. Like, let's get some playoff basketball. And the moment, like, the moment the playoffs started, they were – didn't they get out to, like, a 20-point lead in the first quarter of game yeah, one? they were not playing around. <laughs> yeah, it was like – it was like they, – yeah, they were they were, they were were ready. And – uh once that once that started going, it was like, yeah, this team's rolling through everyone. Like they're they're just they're truly incredible. And I, I look at I look at their their play. I look at their roster. I look at their ages. I look at their contracts. All they're not going up. anywhere. All they're not going up. anywhere. No. Like and, and think about the guys. Like the projects they have. Like Peyton, Peyton Watson. Watson Peyton, Peyton Watson. Watson. Yeah, yeah. That's Christian right. Brown's a rookie. He's only getting better. Uh, Bruce Brown. I don't know if we'll take the player option because he's probably gonna get paid, but. You got, man, like, like, you can afford to lose a role player or two and fill in with some more young talent. And, man, they got something special going in Denver, man. I'm excited. It, it reminds me of the 2015 Warriors. That's the comparison I keep making. That's a, They got a generational offensive talent. They've got a perfect system. Everyone's bought in. They've got all types of two-way talent on that do a multitude of things. Um... It's special, man. It's special. It 100% is. And, like, that's that's been my guilty watch this whole year because, obviously, I want my team to win as a Warriors fan, obviously. But I just couldn't deny the basketball if Denver was playing. Like, just freelance to where it's like Jokic making sure everyone gets the ball. Jokic does not care about his stats. He's trying to get people involved to win the basketball game. And, like, the, the steadiness that Jamal Murray brings to that group in terms of his – three-level scoring, his intensity, how he gets downhill, and his insane, insane efficiency as a perimeter player. It just it just reminds me so much of what Golden State did in their, you know, Golden Days. So me seeing Denver be this dominant isn't surprising. It honestly shouldn't be surprising, but a lot of people, quite frankly, just did not watch them play. Yeah, and I, I think uh, I think after watching them throughout this run, I think Jokic tackled like a ton of question marks about his game because a lot of people were like hesitant to say anything strong about him because they wanted to wait for a real playoff sample keep in mind he took the mvp leap in 2021 and played like 14 playoff games over two seasons so we yeah. didn't really have anything to work with i mean the first one i looked at is people were talking about could Jokic ramp up the scoring because in the regular season he dropped down to like almost 24 points per game and that kind of like 
was a big comparison between him and Embiid. It was like Embiid averaged 33, 34. Jokic is getting 24, 25. Although he's uber efficient, he's picking his spots a little too much. It's almost reminiscent of like a Steve Nash instead of like an actual scorer. Playoffs come around. This dude's launching. Like, this dude's shooting damn near 50% from three. He's averaging 30 a game in almost every series. Right, and it's like, it's like uh, yeah, the efficiency's down, and, and people keep pointing to that. I, I got this one dude who's always in my replies, like, he was talking about how Jokic wasn't scoring enough in the regular season. Playoffs come around, now he's not efficient enough. I don't know what you want him to do, but the dude is putting together an, an immense scoring profile. Oh, and that's his second best skill. I mean, the guy is... Another one was that people said his playmaking falls off in the playoffs because they yeah, make him a scorer. I remember that. You can't make you can't make this dude a scorer. He's he's the best passer I've seen since like Prime Magic Johnson, man. Like like this guy is crazy. And uh and then you, you surround him with guys who not only are talented but play off of him perfectly. Like Jamal Murray is one of the best shooters I've ever seen. The perfect like perfect straight up one of the best shooters I've ever seen. He's an elite off ball player. Uh, has the handle and passing to get Jokic open off the ball, um, can pressure the rim, can pull up off the dribble, has an in-between game. Michael Porter Jr. is an off-ball weapon in a m multitude of ways. And he's not a small guard, by the way, which means he, he can also pull yeah. smaller guards if he needs to. And Jamal Murray, oh, man, yeah, it's just like, I I, I don't want to go too far into the into that offense, but like you can point to every player, point to what right. they do. And it's like, I've never seen a team create so many different mismatches. And it's like, there's not a scheme someone can possibly conjure up that's like, oh, this will shut the Nuggets down. It just doesn't exist. Now, now listen, I, I want to play devil's advocate here, right? Because I agree with all this. Because again, like, we've watched them play all regular season and, and here. Like, I was aware that they were this good, right? My only thing for me personally, and maybe this is me being a hurt fan, I don't know. But... When I looked at every series, I said, Denver's going to beat the Wolves. They don't have McDaniels. They're just a much better team, quite frankly. The Gobert stuff is going to be a mismatch on the offensive end because how is he going to really punish Jokic like that? I just see them as a much better team. Cool. The very next round, and, and like, by the way, this is the most hilarious thing. A lot of people, when Kevin Durant got traded to the Suns, they bypassed roster. They said they have Kevin Durant. Chris Paul, DeAndre Aiden, Devin Booker, they 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 should be the favorites to come out the most. And I'm like, are we? So are we going to discount the rest of the roster around those guys, and also how Aiden can be shaky in the playoffs and not be super consistent, and how Chris Paul gets hurt? But no, that that doesn't matter. So when they played them, I had Denver in six. That was my prediction. I really wanted to say five on paper, but I'm like. They might get one off of crazy shooting. And that's what happened. I mean, Booker quite literally shot 80%. And Devin Booker was a better player than Kevin Durant for the entire play, which is crazy to say. Crazy to say. Yeah, he was. But that's how efficient he was. But I just didn't think that the Suns had enough talent and enough discipline specifically to keep up with what Denver wanted to do. And that showed itself. Denver versus LA. Now, shout out to Lonnie Walker. Right, but that Lakers team defensively was tapped in. Okay, Anthony Davis for the entire playoffs, he was playing some generate like I've never seen like defense like that. And the Warriors, 
uh, series, he was phenomenal. Defensively, he blew up almost every action. He, he was great. Even versus Memphis, he showed a, a lot of that same stuff. I said coming in, if you watched him play this year, Anthony Davis's best trait is as a roamer, as a guy who can occasionally like switch up. He cannot do that to Jokic. If he's trying mm-hmm. to roam, it's going to be a problem because who who else is the real like actual big man for for uh sorry for LA? And on top of that, transition defense is is very shaky. When Denver has a great transition offense, I just never felt like they were gonna um, like confidently win that series. A lot of people felt like it was a a toss up based on the depth, and that's fair. But I also had Denver in six, and they swept them. They get to the finals, they play the Heat, and I felt like for the Heat they were the best challenge offensively. But I just did not think the Heat would have enough talent to beat them because it does come down to talent at some point, especially when I viewed him and you were there right you were there in our discord call where like we literally said it's Jokic, it's Giannis and the stuff like to me if you have like a top three caliber player and you have the better roster in a series you should win that series and that's what yeah. never showing people so how do you really view this running in terms of that team really being tested it's just dominance i mean you can only play who's in front of you and they've done it I, what stands out to me is uh, we always knew Denver's offense was going to be crazy. Like, there was no question about that. Like, Denver, the questions were defensively. And I think, I talked about this today, I do think there are a few teams that could still really stress their defense. Uh, Golden State's the first one that comes to mind, of course. But you got, like, Portland, Dallas, um, I think a healthy New Orleans. There are a few teams that could really, like, stress this team out. But we're we're now four rounds in. They have faced four vastly different offenses. You've got... Sort of. They've got the shooting big. They've got the 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 traditional big. They've got playmaking from Kyle Anderson. They have an explosive scorer who can get to the rim and at the pull up three. What was sp- supposed to be Jokic's kryptonite, right? The 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 rim and the pull up three. Um and and they were good defensively. You get to Phoenix. Um I never was sold on Phoenix. The moment the trade happened, my first question was, who's gonna pressure the rim? Who's gonna pressure the rim? That's who's, who's it, like, gonna play point of attack defense. Right, like, like there's there's so many questions. It's like, you can't just win a series off of mid-range shot making. So, in that series, uh, you, you obviously have Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. By the way, Kevin Durant was locked up by Aaron Gordon in that series. Aaron Gordon, Aaron Gordon, Aaron Gordon put the clamps on. And, and the Nuggets just did really good defensively in that series as well. You get to LA. LA had one scorching hot offensive game. And after that, I think they had like a 112 offensive rating or something. Um, they forced LeBron to be a shot maker, which at this point in his career is like pretty shaky. Um, Austin Reeves didn't really do what he was doing in the last two series. Uh, they, like I said, they conceded the short mid range to Anthony Davis, and that's not really his game. He wants to get all the way to the rim. And uh, AD tried isolating Jokic quite a bit, and Jokic was doing really good defensively in isolation. Um, because I AD's not quite. Point real quick, the, the um, okay, the Austin Reeves point just. Real fast, I'm sorry. It was killing yeah. me. It was killing me watching these games because to me, like, instead of feeding Austin the ball more because I feel like he was really good that whole series, but they were not giving him the ball in second halves of games in favor of Lonnie Walker mm-hmm. and Dennis Schroeder. And I feel like that, like, significantly hurt their offense more because having LeBron in the off-ball role more alongside him, I feel like would have paid more dividends. 
Yeah, and, and again, it's the numbers game. I mean, basketball at, at times really does just come down to a math problem because yeah. Anthony Davis is going to get his against Jokic in isolation. Like, there's no question about it. AD's physically gifted. But this isn't the same AD from 2018. He's not nearly as agile. I don't think his handle's as good as it was. There's just a few things that prevent him from really taking advantage. And it's like, what's the, the average offensive efficiency of an isolation is like one point per possession or something. The Nuggets scored 124 points per 100 in the Lakers series. Like, you're not going to beat them off of running isolations. You have to be creative. You have to find other ways. So the Nuggets, that's three Western opponents. Now they're against Miami. Oh, Miami has the creativity. They have the multiple shooters. They have the movement. This is the Nuggets' best defensive series. So it's like, okay, we need to walk back some of what we were saying. Jokic clearly is not a defensive liability. You can clearly build a competent defense around him. Also... We need to reevaluate how we look at defense. Length, size, athleticism, it matters even if they're not the best individual defenders. Michael Porter Jr. isn't a great individual defender, but within that system, he's really valuable. Really valuable. KCP, Bruce Brown, Aaron Gordon, Christian Brown, that's four really, really good, really versatile defenders. And then Jamal Murray's clearly bought in, another big guard. There's no small or weak guys to attack. So you can't out phys out physically body them. And what you're coming down to is the only time the Nuggets have a bad defensive game is some crazy shot making. Yeah, I I like the point you make because um while your defensive IQ matters a lot, yes, ultimately having the length and size in the first place is the first barrier of entry to playing good defense. If you have the size you have the capability it's just a matter of like then understanding where to be in your defensive system and Denver to me on both ends for the entire season they to me have been probably the best blend of size and skill and blending those two you know things together makes a very potent and dangerous basketball team so that's a great point you make I agree with you on that yeah and and it's interesting because in, in recent years, we've seen the best playoff defenses besides Milwaukee. Milwaukee's been the best playoff defense for a while. But besides them, the teams that are consistently successful are those that can like sit in the gaps and take away the pass, make playmakers make passes over the top. And the Nuggets have mastered that. Like in terms of just maximizing their talent by sitting in gaps and then making playmakers make passes over the top. You think about who they've played. Anthony Edwards um kevin durant devin booker uh jimmy butler these are all like guys who can make plays but they're not going to make the 30 foot pass over the top of the defense and so you get Jokic, whose length and hands are really good at taking away the pocket pass you take away the pocket pass um you have these guys pretty much just switching around Jokic because of the versatility and the only pass available is that pass over the top and if it's not fast enough then you're relying on a guy to attack a closeout, put the defense into rotation. There's there's only a couple teams that can really stress that. And I think Denver, just everyone buying in, everyone playing their role, the rotations being on point, the communication, um, making playmakers make tough passes, and then forcing turnovers and getting out and running off of that. I think that's the best way to play modern defense. And they've mastered that because although Aaron Gordon's a great defender, I think this is a very special defense in that they don't have a single guy you can point to and it's like 
oh, he's the one buoying this defensive unit. They don't have a Jaron Jackson, a Draymond Green, an Anthony Davis. It's by committee. It's by committee, and 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 that's without having a great defensive center. They're kind of setting a standard for like what the league is gonna look like, and I I think I I think it's really enjoyable. I said this after the Raptors won in 2019. Like the league is headed towards versatility at every position and having guys on a street like obviously you still need to have like the best player like you still always have to have like like a top five caliber player to me to even be in the conversation because even on that team they still had freaking Kawhi Leonard you know what I'm saying like, like they still had this guy but the team as a whole their identity was at the defensive end. They had length at every single position. They had good connective passers. It just flowed as a committee type of thing. And ever since then, those typically are how championships are won. Last year with my team, I kind of felt like we were able to win, yes, because of how dominant Steph Curry was. Obviously, you need that. But in terms of guys being able to fill in, I mean, Andrew Wiggins being that guy who's super, you know, good, strong, and, and lengthy, and being able to fill in and play both sides of the basketball, and also be the bailout if the offense is, you know, not the best. Draymond Green finding out a way to be impactful defensively. The unit is really what matters more because obviously, with the new CBA in place, you're not going to be able to have like three all NBA caliber guys on on a roster and still have. A good overall basketball team it's more about roster construction as you move forward yeah i i have a theory that i'm waiting to be confirmed um because okay you can never there's no you can't really confirm a theory until it's proven and i i wonder if the talent gap has gotten to a point where having like a top top player is less important i think soon we're gonna start seeing teams with like like jimmy butler for example when the heat made this run Everyone kind of jumped and was like, oh, is Jimmy Butler actually a top five player? Is he actually like better than we thought he was? Right. And I don't think that's the case. I think it's more so like um, the way that the that the game is moving. It's so much more about offensive strategy and coaching chess matches than we've ever seen. Like it, that's always been a thing. But like the way you can put out like a lineup of the Indiana Pacers, for example, the Indiana Pacers don't have the like the, like they have talent but like i feel pretty confident that with their strategy and with the way they have it built they could really overperform what they should be offensively and i think we saw that for a part of the season before they kind of like started tanking when halliburton got hurt they're a team that i always look to and i wonder if soon because because people try to over individualize the game especially on the defensive end they will say oh this guy's uh a top 10 player one like Devin Booker for example he was going crazy but like people were ready to jump the gun if the Suns if the Suns beat the Nuggets people were ready to be like oh Devin Booker's a top five player and the thing about that is I think it's a lot more uh on the team level than ever before and I think uh soon we'll start people we'll see people stepping back and not individualizing it as much like not putting as much blame on one player not putting as much uh credit to one player because think about even just like 10 years ago if if a player of Giannis's caliber lost in the first round to an eight seed um it would be viewed a lot differently and I think people have gotten to a place where it's like well Giannis's teammates did this uh 
this happened with the coach. Uh, Eric Spolstra outcoached Budenholzer. I, I think everyone's getting to a better level of understanding, and the game itself, everyone within the game is getting at a better level of understanding to where the individual player will obviously always be the most important thing, but I think uh, we're going to see a lot of smaller market teams building these really good rosters that are contending, like the 2021 Utah Jazz, for example, without having a top, top player because of how much more team-oriented offense and defense have become with the modern modern uh, strategies. Yeah, I, I think this is a very interesting theory that you have here, and obviously have to see what happens in the future i i'm kind of in the middle like i get your point because again ross construction to me has always been the number one thing that matters because you cannot win a championship alone it's just not possible you have to have guys fill in to their roles especially with the amount of talent that's in the lead today but my question is always okay so the question then becomes can a roster without a player of that caliber beat another team that has a player of that caliber and maybe has a slightly less roster because we've seen it time and time again that sometimes having that guy because he's so good he picks up that you know offensive or defensive slack so high to a point where it bridges the gap and that's really what we're talking about like to win a championship it's all about bridging the gap and finding the marginal places where you can beat a team like hey you guys like shot the ball well but we got more rebounds than you did. We got out in transition more. We had a higher offensive rating in the half court than y'all did. And like those those margins add up as you like you know play through a full contested seven game series. So that's a very interesting thought. But where I do 100% agree with you is as we progress through the league and more talent comes in, the league is getting smarter. Like like uh five years ago. You could play guys who couldn't do anything offensively because defense mm -hmm. always mattered. But now it's like yeah. you're starting to see if you were a offensive negative, your minutes are getting cut. Like yeah. you have to be able to do something with the ball. Even like ball handling is a skill that is way more important now to have multiple yeah. guys who can take the ball and do things on ball because the way these defenses are growing is now there's more size in the league, period. And with more size, you find more guys who can just clamp everything you like to do defensively, which means you need to have more capable guys in, yeah. instead of just a Bam, instead of just you know, a Jimmy Butler. What other guys can put the ball on the floor and create advantages? Uh, yeah, and, and one guy I always use as, as an example is Josh Green from the Mavs because Josh Green, he, he's, he's like a decent quality role player. But, like, think about him being on, like, the 2018 Rockets. Just think about that for a second. Like, James Harden kicks it out, and you got this guy flying in from the corner and throwing down a tomahawk dunk. People would be like, this guy's an all-star. But in but we, the league has gotten so talented in just that time frame that it's like, this is just a normal role player at this point. And yeah. I, that's really crazy. And uh, a few things that I want to I wanna touch on with that theory, just to, just to follow up. Um, first thing I look at is... You, you watch a game from 2008, every other possession is some kind of isolation, whether that's a post-up, whether that's a face-up, whether it's like mismatch hunting, that isn't the case anymore. And I think that's part of what took away the individualization of the game is like, um, Steph Curry will get 30 points, but it's 30 points off of a cut, off of a, a back screen, off of five curls, uh, out in transition. Kobe gets 30 points and it's like isolation left wing, isolation right wing 
isolation right corner. And it, it's very different. It's it's really different how these players. And another question I, I ask in my mind is like, what's more valuable? One MVP or three all-stars? Like, like which one will oh, raise wow. the speed more? And it's like, it's like, cause like, say you have Jokic, you have Jokic and then four replacement level players. Will that be a better team than Jamal Murray, Paul George, Bam Adebayo, and two replacement level players? It's really tough to like balance it out where it's like you have the super, the megastar or the, or the role players. And here's the question I want to ask you that I, that I, my sure. mind went this. Okay. The Kings and Warriors first round series, right? Yo, that that was that was such a fun playoff series, man. I loved it, loved it. If you replace Harrison Barnes with Paul George, how much does that series change? It works contract wise. Ooh. It's obviously not like a realistic swap, but like just think about it for a second. Because Paul George, in my opinion, would be the best player on that team then, over De'Aaron Fox. And what I look at is Paul George at best is like probably at this point like a low level All NBA guy. Steph Curry's a megastar. Klay Thompson's still very good. He was very good in that series. Draymond Green's still a defensive mastermind. Andrew Wiggins had a really good series. Kevon Looney was grabbing like 90 boards a game. Crazy. Like It's still a good team around the megastar. But you just add that third all-star to the Kings. It really changes the whole series. So, so okay, here's what I'll say, right? Um, A, like, I'm sorry crazy for this, but I'm telling you, before the season, and like, I'm... I'm so bad at myself. Like I was an L content creator because I told people the Kings were gonna be like a really good team. I had them in that playoff race. People said that, that the Blazers would be better than them. And, and I'm like, they just got Mike Brown from us. And like, I knew of Mike Brown's impact on, on the Warriors the entire time. And the way that he came in and stabilized that culture and the offense that they ran was so creative. Like they, they also were another team that reminded me so much of what we like to do so so like yeah i always respected the kings and and like adding paul george to that roster i think we lose and i say that primarily because the warriors are stuck in a position where they are trying to contend for titles when they have a very offensively limited front court and that is a detail that a lot of people don't think about but how many teams have a five and a four that are basically non-spacers and you know what when you, when you said that about the Warriors having two non-spacers in the front court and their offense still being potent, that's because of Steph Curry, obviously. But also, the first team I thought of was Cleveland. Cleveland was an offensive disaster against New York. They were a disaster. They couldn't create anything. And they're one of those teams that has two non-spacers in the front court. Actually, three. But, but just in terms of the power forward in the center, it's like, you have an offensively limited front court and you don't have Steph Curry, um, they really struggled. And I, I think that's something that the Warriors uh, definitely struggle with. And I think, like I said, as strategies and as offenses advance and as the leagues become more and more talented, the Warriors are going to just struggle more and more every year with that. You need a Steph Curry just to even make it work at all. And then because the league's getting more strategically advanced and so much more talented, it's just going to be worse and worse every year. So, I say this about my team all the time, right? And, like, I said this coming in, like, you're you're banking on the creativity of what Steph Curry is able to do because when he's off the ball, he's so much of a potent threat that he raises how how impactful Kevon and Draymond can be offensively, even though they're really not that great. 
but ultimately you're right because as the league progresses you just have more skilled players and dropping paul george in that series you now have paul george you have fox you even have malik monk like multiple guys who can get the initial defender off of them get downhill and punish people and also you have even more connected passing and defense like that is a a very drastic combination of things to happen but to me it's always going to come down to this i like basketball so much because your question earlier on which team is better if you have four four players who can pretty much be like average right and you have like an mvp player who's like best player in the league compared to a team that has like three three all-stars my thing with that question is it all depends on the skill sets and the names of what the talent is because i can just say okay you have donovan mitchell you have uh allen and you have mobley right like those three players they're technically all-stars but the way that they complement each other there's a limitation to it based on what their skill sets are and that team can be beaten by a Jokic-led team because of just how good Jokic is offensively and the types mm-hmm. of players you put around. Because again, if you put like specialist players to where it's Jokic and it's, you know, X player who's like really good at, at this one thing, I feel like Jokic is such a high level player that they can build a system around that that might not win the whole thing, but can beat that team. And that's really where the league is. Like, it's really about the specification of what you're good at and how that's leveraged. Because we see it time and time again, like people use people incorrectly. Bruce Brown on the Nets was in the dunker spot. Like that's not, you know, it's a rough way to use people. And that's why coaching to me matters a lot more in this era. 100%. And I think it's all about maximizing the skill set of even your eighth, ninth guy in the rotation. It's not just about maximizing the megastar because that's what a lot of people think roster construction is. I think the 76ers are, are a victim of that. It's like, oh, we have Joel Embiid. Let's try and like put this guy around Joel Embiid. Let's put this guy around Joel Embiid. Like, put everything around Joel Embiid. And then it's like, okay, but how is Joel Embiid bringing the best out of Tobias, Tobias Harris? How is Joel Embiid bringing the best out of James Harden? And it's like, you kind of need a mutual benefit there yeah. uh, another one is james harden like the rockets were like okay let's figure out exactly how we can maximize james harden with the warriors it's like hey let's figure out how we can maximize steph curry also steph curry's gonna maximize draymond he's gonna maximize clay he's gonna maximize that's what it is with Jokic. let's maximize Jokic. let's put aaron gordon at the four. Oh, but by the way aaron gordon's gonna score 27 off of Jokic entry passes and cuts uh, let's put Jamal, Mur- let, let's, let's put a ball handle like Jamal Murray off of, y- off of Jokic. Oh, Jamal Murray's going to run the two man game and have single coverage because they don't want to leave Jokic. Now he's, a, now he's an incredible shot maker. Great point. You get Michael, Michael Porter Jr. Oh, let's get an off ball guy. Let's get a shooter off of Jokic. Oh, actually Jokic is going to hand the ball off to him and he's going to be score 20 points per game off of assisted from Jokic. It's, it's all about the mutual benefits and it's about maximizing every single player on the roster, not just one or two. It's about how you complement your pieces. I love everything you said right there because you're absolutely right. Like, it's about specifically how do you fit on the court and how do you complement those styles to make things work? Because building around your star player for him to do everything, like, there's not that many players that A, can do that, but it's 
it's also how you do it. Like prime James Harden, which a lot of people seem to really forget about. The most efficient offense was when he had the ball and he isolated. So how yeah. they complemented that was by having a bunch of spacers and having a top five defense around that. And that style yeah. paid a lot of dividends to people. That's not the same as, okay, we have this player. So let's just get a bunch of players um, that are one-way players who can only do one thing. No, like you have to have a versatile approach of how you do different things. Like the way that Houston really maximized the window is while they had a bunch of three and D guys, they had Chris Paul, who could come in and, and be another guy to basically take the load off of James and do those similar type of things, and also get the ball moving in spots as well. Like that type of versatility, you have to have. If you don't, you're pretty much done. And I think for Denver. Even, like, okay, after this is over, because I think Denver's up 3-1. I think it's over. Um, I do think Miami will force a game six. Hot, hot opinion. I do still believe that. But Denver, to me, is the team that now teams have to look at and say, how how do we beat this team? Because they're locked up. Michael Porter Jr. is still playing on a brace, so he's not even at, like, his peak value yet. Um, we haven't seen... Murray take that leap in terms of being this type of player during their entire season. Like their players are just gonna get better, and the size yeah. and the skill. How do you combat and challenge that moving forward? I think that is the bar that Denver is currently setting right now for the NBA. And we're gonna see a lot of teams trying to replicate it. We saw it with the with the Golden State Warriors. It was like, oh, we need. I I don't even want to just focus on Steph Curry. Can you um uh, just Go back a couple of years. Do you remember when every single contending team, the description that was labeled about their best role player was, oh, this is their Draymond Green. Yeah. There's only yes. one Draymond Green. There's only one Draymond Green. And it's like, it's like, I think we're going to see a lot of that with Denver. They're going to be like, oh, this is their Aaron Gordon. There's not another Aaron Gordon out there. There's only one of them. And it's like, Aaron Gordon's not a superstar, but it's like, they found a way to maximize his skill set, and his skill set's really unique. If you can maximize a unique skill set, it's really hard to counter, and it's really hard to replicate. Um, and, and I think Draymond Green, Aaron Gordon, even Andrew Wiggins to some extent, like these are guys who have these unique skill sets, and you just you just can't replicate it. So you have to find a way to counter it. How do you counter it? We, we're gonna have to see what teams come up with because the Nuggets are dominating the NBA throughout this run. Yeah, man, I can't wait because, like, the future of the league to me is so intact because, again, like, you have Wembyana and Sohan as a front court. That's going to be super dangerous. Um, Shea Gilgis, <laughs> Jalen Williams, Chet, and we have not seen play a single NBA minute. Like, there's going to be a lot of, like, length, size, and skill players coming into the league through the complement teams. And also, the new CBA is really going to impact how we see these teams the build around players you're going to get yeah. punished a lot harder if you trade all of your draft capital for this super big contract that puts you into the luxury tax which really limits how you build your roster like the iq in terms of roster construction is going to matter significantly and Denver has nailed it out of the park so i can't wait to see how those questions get answered in the future but i gotta say who venue this was a great podcast um a lot of conversations on the ins and outs of the league skill 
all of those things but can you let the people know where they can find you yeah man uh like you said my twitter kg's goat uh i'm pretty active on there my youtube hoop venue i've been dropping pretty much daily content throughout these playoffs uh i'm gonna ramp down a little bit i'm gonna ramp down a little bit once the offseason comes but i'm gonna still keep the content consistent it's gonna keep coming and uh so that's pretty much where you can find me i mean i have an instagram and a tiktok but i'm not really active on those yet i'm planning to do that next season but uh for now just youtube and twitter i've got pretty consistent content if you want to check it out i think i do some pretty cool stuff personally but uh yeah that's about it hey man well big shout out to you um for all the people who listen to this podcast make sure to go tap it with who you again i respect the man so much great content also good human being i rock with dude so make sure to go follow who venue and also if you made it this far this is like the 10th yeah the 10th episode of the get the who's podcast i plan to keep this going uh all throughout the off season as well i have a lot of content coming so make sure to tap in uh, also we're very close to hitting 600 subscribers on youtube we're going for that big boy 1k this year as well so i i have a, a lot of things in uh creativity i, I want to get to so Make sure to like, comment, subscribe on the YouTube side, and also five-star this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all things of that nature to get this podcast out there in circulation. I appreciate all you guys, and I'll be catching you guys in the next episode of the Get News Podcast sometime this week after the finals are officially wrapped and concluded. Peace out, people.